Welcome to Nicosia Uncut, produced and presented by Andromachis of Ocleus and Kemal Baikali. Starting the new year, discussing what else but politics. The Great Ismet Pipeline project did not come out as great as politicians wanted us to believe. Meanwhile, both communities are in an election mode and we discuss our insights regarding developments. Happy New Year, Andromahi. It's our first program in 2022. Wow, Happy New Year, Kemal. I, I wish a year of uh, health, solidarity, compassion to all of our uh, listeners. I think that these are the three key ingredients that we're missing from 2021, at least. Uh, so let's work on uh, having those. It's good that we are still not fed up talking about politics, but... Even in this program, in the first program of 2022, we'll be talking about politics. And this is what Nicosia Ankat is all about. Maybe just to give them a heads up, I think we've decided to cover three topics. One is the Greek Cypriot um, elections, the, the presidential elections of Republic of Cyprus. Number two is the Turkey Cypriot elections, the parliamentary elections that will be taking place um, on 23rd of January. And of course, we have this famous East Met Uh, issue and the gas form and what the U.S. is doing at the moment and what this project is all about. Why don't we start with what's going on in the presidential elections um, campaign in the Greek Cypriot community? Well, a lot is happening. And in fact, we cannot keep up. Uh, well, um, When exactly this, was that again? It's in February 2023. So we are more than a year before the elections. And the DC already announced that it is more or less going with its leader, Averof uh, Neofitu. There were a lot of deliberations within the party. We discussed a lot amongst us about this internal rivalry in the sea where, as to who is running. As we had predicted, Averof Neofitu got his way for the time being at least. And uh, he basically forced Christodoulidis' uh, uh, resignation from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in a very calculated move, I would say. So what happened was that the sea leader and the political uh, bureau of uh, of the sea, they decided to bring forward all the um, internal processes regarding uh, their choice of a candidate for the elections. And I believe that this was done because Averov Neofidou was eager to get a statement out of Nikos Christodoulidis as to whether he will choose to run in the elections or not, and if he runs, whether he will choose to do it through the party or as an independent. It was made clear for a long time before that that Mr. Nikos Christodoulidis believes that he can have more of an overarching candidacy, a candidacy that can attract voters from all political parties, and this is why he did not uh, opt uh, for the option of running through the party. So basically, the C parliamentarians, the DC leadership is presenting Christodoulidis' choice as an attempt to divide the party, basically. They are presenting him as someone who does not respect the processes within the party. And all of this are, is done with a view to basically claiming the DC 
followers' hearts because this is the greatest gamble for uh, Averov Neofitu at the time. He wanted to run, but he knows that all the opinion polls show that he is not a popular politician. All the opinion polls show that he is not a politician that who would be preferred by the public when it comes to becoming the president of the republic. On the contrary, Nikos Christodoulidis enjoys a lot of popular support. Uh, however, all these really do not matter when party politics speak, and all these really do not matter when the parties decide to share the votes amongst them. And at the same time, uh, Christodoulidis might be a popular politician, but we still do not know any of his political positions on crucial issues because he has generally opted to not uh, take a stance on crucial political issues aside from the issues that uh, were related to his ministry. Just two quick questions. Uh, number one, we know that there are also some other independent candidates. Why it's so important that we need to talk about uh, this balance between Christodoulidis and uh, Neofidou? And number two, what does this mean for the Cyprus politics, for the Cyprus problem politics? Well, on the one hand, you don't often get uh, two main politicians, members of the ruling political party and members of the ruling government uh, at the moment. Um, so you don't often get them to show interest to run in the elections. And now you have two politicians that were basically embracing and supporting the same policy all this time, and they are going to be set opposite each other. This is a scenario that uh, Mr. Neofidua is clearly dreading. And this is why he tried to sort of blackmail Mr. Christodoulidis into taking a stance. And this is what led to Christodoulidis' resignation. But at the same time, I believe that Christodoulidis himself also has the expectation that before long, it will be made clear that he is a more popular candidate than Mr. Averov, and he hopes that he will be able to change the hearts and minds of uh, of the sea. But if you're followers. coming from the same political tradition, the same political uh, exercise experience, and you know um, you're in the same uh, mechanism for for a few years now. This means that it will be difficult to challenge, for them to challenge each other's um, political practices, and it opens ground for more personal attacks. That's exactly the issue. It opens the ground for more personal attacks and for more indirect attacks, for instance, through leaks in the media, etc. And your question has two sides, Kemal. On the one hand, how is Averov Neofidu going to be criticizing uh, uh, Nikos Christodoulidis? On what grounds? Will he be criticizing him for his legacy in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs? But that is a legacy that Averov Neofidu has, has been embracing all this time. Uh, that is a legacy that Averov Neofidu never challenged. And at the end of the day, Christodoulidis was only applying the policies of the Anastasiadis government that both Christodoulidis and Averov Neofidu and, of course, the ruling party were supporting. At the same time, there is an attempt by uh, Mr. Christodoulidis to present himself as the candidate that stands aside from the traditional political 
system. He's trying to present himself as an anti-systemic sort of candidate. But how is this really possible when he has been part of the ruling government for the past nine years in the most crucial of positions? How can you distance yourself and disassociate with yourself from a government that you've been actively supporting for the past nine years? So all these are questions that are of interest as to how they will play out. I also think that it's crucial to say a bit about the actual legacy of Mr. Christodoulidis in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, because Christodoulidis has been very successful when it comes to public relations, when it comes to photo opportunities, and when it comes to this communications image of a very active minister. But at the same time, what has Mr. Christodoulidis succeeded. He is part of a government that brought us to the worst uh, um, United Nations Secretary General report on uh, the good officers mission in Cyprus. Uh, he's part of the government that brought Cyprus in the situation in which Turkey de facto challenges the areas licensed in its exclusive economic zone. He's part of the government that saw the opening of Varosha, the Part of a, of the, of a government that set the bar very high about sanctions from the European Union against Turkey's violations of the Cyprus exclusive economic zone. And he failed. So when it comes to actual results, uh, Christodoulidis and of course the Anastasiadis government and to an extent Mr. Averovnofitu as well, they have an issue. But obviously the issue reflects more against Mr. Christodoulidis, who was the leading minister. But what of does course, this mean for the Cyprus problem? Um, you're, you were counting, you were explaining all the issues that he and they failed um, in terms of foreign policy and all that. What about the Cyprus problem, really? I mean, uh, what are the prospects for the future uh, if we are looking at these two uh, candidates? To be honest, I believe that none of them believe that the Cyprus problem will be a, an issue of crucial importance in the elections in 2023. I think this is clear. I think that the public is not interested. I think that everyone is safely sort of counting on the fact that they do not expect any developments before the elections in 2023. They are also not expecting any developments before the elections in Turkey, of course, which will also take place in 2023. I think we discussed this in, in a number of podcasts of the previous year. Uh, but why is this important, Kemal? On the one hand, it is important because having a presidential election starting so prematurely means that we lose sight of all the other important issues in the, in the political sphere. And this is is not only to do with the Cyprus problem, it has to do with a lot of other issues. We are in the midst of a pandemic, people are facing financial problems, people are concerned about other issues, and then you have sort of politicians bickering amongst them, and, and the public is really sick and tired. At the same time, though, as I said, I believe, and I saw that from an interview of Mr. Averov Neofitu in, uh, on CYBC, in which he mentioned the Cyprus problem in his candidacy, but really it is clear that it will not be a major part of his campaign. And I think that this is an understanding that some of the politicians in the opposition parties also have, that because the Cyprus problem is kind of dead, we shouldn't really be bothered. I need to stress, Kemal, and I think that it is very important for us to stress it, that even though the discussions of a political, on a political solution are becoming very difficult, and we've also 
sort of expressed our disappointment in that. Issues related to the Cyprus problem, issues related to the relations between the Republic of Cyprus and the Turkish Cypriot community, issues related to how the European Union treats the Turkish Cypriot citizens will be of crucial importance in the years to come, with or without a solution. And especially in the absence of a solution and in the absence of negotiations, these issues become all the more important. And if you have politicians or political candidates for the leadership of the of the Republic of Cyprus who do not appreciate the crucial importance of the timing in which we are in, then I believe that the um, repercussions will be uh, great for the Cyprus problem and for the prospects of the island in itself. In case of a political process, a new Cyprus talks process, which one do you think is more pro-solution? Which one is likely to take that extra step if you look at their past um, experiences, past um, political uh, actions? Well, that's a very difficult question for me, Kemal, because I'm a person that judges by actions. And if we are to talk about actions, both of these politicians, Mr. Averov Neofidu and Mr. Christodoulidis, have supported the policy that has brought us to this deadlock. And both of these politicians have supported the policy of challenging Mr. Guterres, challenging the UN Secretary General Special Representative, challenging the authority of the Guterres framework, openly lying about the Guterres framework. So I honestly do not know what to say. I was reading the last uh, book by Mr. Magarios Rushotis, A Crime in Gran Montana, in which he discusses a lot about the background of the negotiations, the background of the Gran Montana conference as well. And in the book, he presents both Mr. Averov Neofidu and Mr. Andros Kiprianou, the former uh, leader of Akel, as the two political forces that were pushing for a solution, that we are genuinely in support of a solution, and that Mr. Averov Neofidu was supposedly working in the background and behind the scenes for a solution. So we have that testimony there. However, I must stress that at the end of the day, what matters is that at the crucial stage of having to confront the Cypriot public with truths, at the crucial state of having to support the possibility of a solution and of pushing the leaders and edging them for the right political will to exist, both politicians, I believe that they failed. And uh, I wouldn't put my hope in any of the two, to be honest, but for different reasons for each one. We know that there are also other independent candidates who are not necessarily coming uh, from any political party, at least from their core. And we know that the main um, left-wing social democratic communists, whatever you <laughs> call them, <laughs> party, Akel, um, has not really put a stance or a candidate yet. So we still, I think it's still still early to talk about presidential elections um, in the sense uh, of uh, deciding or analyzing the candidates. But I think this is an important development that Mr. Christodoulidis has resigned. And I think it's just another sign that he will be running. We have also been uh, following from the developments in ISMET that uh, Americans have clearly said that they're not really playing an active role in the ISMET uh, 
project to say the least um but uh, many people have been surprised many people have rushed out to say that this is the end of the project uh for us who really discussed many times um the project i think we have always been saying that this has been put in a context more than what it is this has been uh, seen as something that is going to you know um bring all other um projects um dormant and then this is just the final decision and we knew that that wasn't the case but what does this mean with this american and first i will explain what americans uh, said so just to give a bit of a context to our followers that are not up with um, energy development the eastern mediterranean pipeline was an offshore natural gas pipeline that was supposedly going to connect the eastern mediterranean energy resources uh, to mainland greece and then from there that they would be transferred to the rest of europe it has been a project that was massively supported by politicians in Greece, Israel, and uh, Cyprus. Uh, we were talking about a pipeline that will have a length of 1,900 kilometers. It would be the biggest pipeline ever constructed, and it would reach depths of three kilometers. We are talking about vast depths. Um, people in the industry, Kemal, always knew that this was nothing but a pipe dream. The amount of money uh, that would be needed its financial uh, viability and feasibility was greatly challenged. Even the reserves for it to be constructed, they were not even there. From the very beginning, it was clear that this was a political endeavor that was associated with the geopolitical illusions, policies, or uh, aspirations of the three countries involved with the project, Cyprus, and Israel. Well, look at it from the perspective of uh, of of Cypriots and Greek. Uh, so at the time when what was discussing was that the region's uh, re- natural reserves could be transferred to Europe through Turkey, for instance, through a pipeline to Turkey, then the idea of this East Med pipeline emerged. And what this East Med pipeline did was to create this illusion that Cyprus, Greece, and Israel would collaborate into something so geopolitically significant that they would set Turkey aside. And on behalf of the Greek and Cypriot mainstream media, that was the expectation. And mainstream media in both countries, they have been presenting the pipeline as the greatest national project. The mainstream media have basically been presenting as traitors all the analysts that were challenging the prospects of this pipeline because for them the pipeline was associated with the geopolitical implications that have to do with setting Turkey aside, not being uh, reliant on Turkey, and of course the great player uh, for Greeks and Cypriots, which is Israel whom they saw as a bulwark against uh, Turkey. 
But also, I think the economic viability is the main reason why this project has always been But, challenged. Of course, the economy and the technical feasibility, Kemal, because we are talking about a, a project that technically would be so difficult. And for these pipelines to be constructed, it doesn't have to do with political aspirations. The pipelines are being constructed based on the market's needs. And from the very beginning, we knew that energy companies would It would be very difficult for them to actually invest in such a project that is more than six billion of worth. And what did the United States do? So the United States basically just spilled the beans and they basically just said what everyone knows, but nobody was admitting uh, th that they cannot support this project. One, because it of the technical and financial uh, feasibility because it, the, its feasibility is challenged. Secondly, because we are living in a world of green transition, we are living in a world of different energy goals in which we are moving away from fossil fuels, from oil and gas to renewable energy sources. Therefore, they could not support a project of this magnitude and of this cost that will have to do with um, natural gas reserves. And thirdly, as they mentioned in a non-paper that was leaked in the Greek press, the, the project causes geopolitical tensions. Uh, so uh, the, the United States basically just said what everyone knew, but nobody dared to admit. The, the non-paper created shockwaves in both Greece and Cyprus that have been feeding on these geopolitical illusions. But I think it is uh, high time everyone woke up and uh, smelt the coffee uh, because it was from the beginning and a priori a very difficult and non-feasible project. So what did the Americans do and what does it mean for the project and its future? Uh Truth be told, the Americans didn't do anything than just send a non-paper to the Greek government informing them of their stance towards this project. In any case, the support of the United States towards this project would be political. It wouldn't be material support. So what the United States said is that while they support the trilateral cooperation between Greece, Israel, and Cyprus, they cannot support this project for the three reasons that we mentioned above. What they do support, though, when they made sure to stress it, is collaboration on renewable energy sources. And this is a reference to the Euro-Asia interconnector, an interconnector that will be transferring electricity from Israel through Cyprus and Greece In this way, Cyprus would be connected to the European electricity network. Uh, so the United States said they are supporting that, and they are also supporting the Euro-Africa interconnector, which would be an electricity cable linking Egypt, Cyprus, and Greece. I was just smiling when you said, uh, when you defined the, the pipe project as the pipe dream, uh, pun intended. So basically, you are telling me that we are coming to a period uh, or end of a period where uh, the Cyprus problem is dormant, partition deepened, the energy project was uh, <laughs> and is a pipe dream uh, in uh, quote-unquote. And um, I don't know what's left um, if we are talking about foreign policy and Cyprus problem and, you know, other than, uh, other than 
economics and uh, maybe the internal uh, issues. And uh, this is not a win-win for anyone and definitely not for uh, the Cypriots. And Can I uh, just to point out something here? Because it's what you said. You don't know what is left. And this is the crucial question that every Cypriot should ask themselves. We have invested so much on these great geopolitical aspirations, on these illusions that our politicians have been feeding us. And at the end of the day, we see all of these illusions collapsing. And we should wonder what is left. We are left with a divided island with all these problems. Do you, do you see articles or uh, discussions in the mainstream media in the Greek Cypriot community? On that? No, no, I am. You can see my head and my disappointment. No, and that's the saddest part of all. The, the the saddest part is not that the illusions were created. The saddest part is that at the moment in which these illusions collapse, there is no sense of self awareness within the community as to what fairy tales we came to believe, how we were, we were lured into these, uh, geopolitical illusions, how, how we've, we've, we've basically been mocked by our politicians and the mainstream media. Thinking about the hours of discussions on mainstream media and the analysis on, on the grandeur of the Eastern Mediterranean pipeline and not only this, on the grandeur of the possibility of sanctions against Turkey, on uh, on the discussions about all the energy resources that Cyprus would suddenly discover and become, you know, the, the center of the world. All of these things are collapsing before our eyes and we don't even take some time to consider what went wrong, whom did we believe who lied to us and what what should we do to change the situation? I think the, the main point is that we keep forgetting that Cyprus is a small country and as if it's not enough, it's divided. Uh, there are uh, foreign troops on its soil and um, internationally it is seen um, as a problem, uh, constantly creating headaches. And despite that, the politicians are still trying to play uh, big international chess games uh, on this small <laughs> country. And uh, we need to accept the fact that Cyprus has always been vulnerable to the regional developments, um, historically, from the beginning of time. And uh, what Cyprus can do is try to maximize its interest, its its benefit, by trying to, one, solve the problem, and two, try to get a very good relations with all neighboring countries, and try to become some sort of a diplomatic economic hub, some sort of a hub where the big uh, players do not want to harm, and I think this is the the picture that um, that Cypriots should have in mind, rather than seeing big dreams about who they are and what they do. I'm I'm not talking only about the Greek Cypriot politics. I'm politicians. I'm also talking about the Turkey Cypriot politicians who are actually uh, seeing other dreams, and uh, we are now approaching to. Um, the elections uh, in the north, and there is a discussion whether uh, these elections should be boycotted. The ones who are very active in social media particularly have been um, some some groups, some um, left leftist groups, uh, some groups who previously supported Mr. Akinji, they say that there is no meaning in going to the ballots because, you know, Turkey pulls all the strings and especially after the latest 
heavy intervention from the Turkey uh, from Turkey into the Turkish Cypriot politics, you know there is no point going into the the ballot boxes. Um, we don't know whether um, they will be very successful in keeping people outside of the ballot boxes. In any way, I think we know that if there is no real point or, or challenge or a topic where which motivate people, then people don't go to the ballot boxes, uh, especially in the recent times, I would say. And uh, But I still believe that the participation will be more than 50%. And um, I am um, expecting the leading UBP right-wing party to come victorious out of the elections. And uh, probably Jetepe, the left-wing pro-solution party, will come second. And then the other parties uh, will... Uh, including formerly knowing, known as uh, Serdar Denktesh's party, but he resigned from, he left the party. And uh, DP would probably come third. And then um, then um, famously known uh, young and bright Kudret Özersay's party will probably be the biggest loser in the, in the elections, um, probably because he failed to deliver what he promised earlier. And he would probably be coming fourth or fifth. Kemal, and the other party. Think, I'm curious to hear what went wrong with the Kudretos size party. If I remember well, a few years ago, he got more than 20% in the vote. And w- what has gone wrong with the People's Party? Well, first of all, it didn't have a real ideology. I mean, their position was clean politics. Yes, it's important for the voters, but clean politics will bring you to a point, but then you needed a real position. For example, when it comes to the Cyprus problem, they were more, let's say, they are not as extreme or as right-wing as UBP, but they are not necessarily pro-federal solution either. You know, they, 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 are, they have been swinging between these two positions, saying that they need to keep their options, but then they were the ones who were defending the two-state solution, which is a, a pipe dream. And uh, then, you see, the, the main problem with Kudret Özersay, he said that when he started his political life, he started as a civil society activist. He is a professor at the University in Famagusta. And he said that he's not going to create a party out of this movement. He did. Then he said that he's not running for the elections. He did. He said that he's not going to leave the the coalition um, with uh, Jetepe, he did. He said that he's not going. He's not even going to drink coffee with UBP. He got into the coalition. So I mean, I think it's you know. <laughs> he I mean, sounds like a I'm not saying that he's a bad person. He, he's not. A, I'm not saying that he's a bad person. I mean, I also personally know him, and you know, in the Turkish Cypriot community, I think everybody knows everybody, and uh, he's a decent person. And, um, at, you know, at the personal level, he actually worked very hard in the height of the pandemic when he was in the coalition. He was really showing some, you know, efforts in that. His ministers, when they were holding different portfolios, were were not necessarily uh, the worst when you com- compare to them to the UBP uh, portfolios. But uh, again, I mean, 
why would people vote for you if they're going if they're prepared already to vote for UBP they are the biggest party or if they want a federal solution why should they vote for you i think he also failed to make people believe that he's a real alternative and he um that people can rely on uh, and then uh, because of what just what i just explained and then i i need to finish um the tdp which was which is also known as uh, Akinjo's former party and uh, YDP, um, the famously known as uh, the Settlers Party by many, will probably pass the threshold, which is five percent. So we are expecting a six-party parliament, and uh, probably it will be UBP together with DP and or HP to uh, form the coalition. So many people will ask, why did we go to the ballots if you know nothing's changed so probably that will be the outcome of it but we'll see of course now the UBP has a new leader and then he just uh, returned uh, um, from a visit in Ankara and the the why I mentioned this uh, he went to visit Erdogan and then since his election that was the first time he got the appointment from him and it is so sad and to see that on his way back People were, you know, celebrating and rejoicing just because he got the grace of Mr. Erdogan finally accepting him in his his palace. I mean, this is so so sad to say the least, and uh, and that that party will probably will be victorious in the in the elections. It's because he will say his waters. Look, I am the best candidate to deliver salaries from Turkey. Um, you know, support from Turkey. And it, when there is no Cyprus problem, um, people are vulnerable. I mean, there is no prospect, no light at the end of the tunnel. So they want to sustain their lives in the middle of an economic crisis and pandemic. And they will just want to uh, vote for the people, for the party that will deliver the best uh, <laughs> when well, it comes to paying the salaries. It, it also goes to show, I mean, to everyone who speaks of independence and everything, it goes to show how, I mean, the deadlock in which the Turkish Cypriot community is when the decision on whom to vote is basically uh, reliant on who has the best relations with Turkey, therefore can guarantee the continuation of the administration, the paying of the salaries and everything. And it's kind of, I think it, it, it kind of puts things into perspective. And the, I, I am doing a mental exercise now. I'm thinking of all the things that we could call pipe dreams <laughs> of all the things <laughs> in, in the Cypriot political sphere in both communities that we could call pipe dreams. And if you think about it, I mean, our political uh, sphere is uh, dominated with pipe dreams. <laughs> I think we have just found our title for the episode, by the way. <laughs> Indeed. Once, for once, we won't be fighting and we won't be sending uh, various emojis Messages to each other. Messages to each other on the, what should be the, the title. <laughs> I think this brought us to the end of the episode. It's already um, almost uh, 35 minutes. And um, so um, that's it for us at the moment and uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, do our podcast more regularly and then get back to you on the developments. Perfect. Uh, it was a pleasure uh, discussing these things with you, Kemal. Pleasure is all mine, Andromache. <laughs>